Finding pre-wise men. Now that might be hard. I imagine each one of us have something different we struggle with in our faith, right? Some of us don't struggle with the virgin birth, but those three wise men, that could be hard. What is the theological significance of the virgin birth of Jesus? We say that we believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Every time we recite the Apostles' Creed together, we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. What does it mean for us that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? What significance does that have in our lives today? To find out the answer to these questions, I would encourage you to open your pew Bible to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit to guide us and lead us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you inspired Luke to put pen to paper so that we might have an orderly written account of the life of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the way your spirit speaks to us through your written word today. We pray, Lord, that you might speak again, that you might give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that might be opened and transformed at the reading and preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Luke chapter one, beginning at verse 26. Listen to the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from here. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. 
Now, twice in these two verses, Luke makes a point to let us know that Mary was a virgin. Luke does not want us to miss that detail, that important fact. And yes, it's true that Mary was betrothed to Joseph, and Joseph was from the house of David. Now, betrothal back then is very different from an engagement today. Today, if a young man is dating a woman and he wants to get engaged, he wants to get married, he'll, he'll most likely go and buy a ring, and if he's more of a traditional type of person, he might actually go and speak to the father of the bride before he asks her for her hand in marriage. He'll seek the father's blessing, and then they get engaged. And, of course, the moment they're engaged, they begin to plan the wedding. Uh, today, most uh, engagements last just long enough to plan that wedding. I know my wife and I were engaged for six months, because we were eager to get married. At least I was eager to get married. Uh, and so we kind of did the fast track, you know, six months to plan a wedding. Well, in the first century, a betrothal would last at least a year. And, and the, the groom would have to go to the father and actually make a contract. He would have to bring the bride's price. He'd have to bring a whole lot of money and make a deal. And it, it was a contract that was binding. And the only thing that could break this contract, this betrothal contract for the bride's hand in marriage, was either death or divorce. It was very important that this contract be upheld. And the bride would then live in her father's house for that year in pl- making preparations for the wedding. And she would live in her father's house to ensure that her virginity was maintained, to help make sure that this Jewish man, Joseph in this case, would be marrying a virgin. Because, well, marrying a virgin was very important back then. In fact, women were often betrothed at the age of 12. And so many scholars believe that Mary is probably 12 to 14 at this time. And they want to make sure that we know that she was still a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. Why is it so important that Mary be a virgin? Why is it so important for us to understand that Jesus was born of a virgin? What does this tell us about God? Well, it tells us several things about God. Jesus' virgin birth tells us several things about God. It tells us that God is faithful to his word. The virgin birth of Jesus also tells us that God is at work. The virgin birth tells us that God is with us and he has a plan to save us. Back to that text in Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, Isaiah lived 700 years before the birth of Jesus. These words were spoken 700 years before Jesus was born, and yet we can see that God is faithful to uphold his promises. We actually saw this last week. If you'll remember, last week, the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah, the priest, who is old at this time, and his wife Elizabeth is very old. And Gabriel says that, well, that you're going to, that his wife Elizabeth, despite her barrenness and despite her age, is going to give birth to a baby boy, and he will come in the spirit of Elijah and be a great prophet. That was John the Baptist. And of course, he actually quotes, as we saw last week, Malachi chapter four, verse six, letting us know that this baby boy, John the Baptist, is a fulfillment of of God's promise that he made through Malachi 400 years before the birth of Jesus. Now the angel Gabriel is telling the Virgin Mary that she's going to have a child, even though she's never known a man. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon her and as a virgin she will give birth to a son, a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Let's listen again to Gabriel's description of Jesus that we find in Luke chapter one, beginning with verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, 
and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verses 32 and 33 of Luke chapter 1 certainly are allusions to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 14 to 16, when God tells King David that, well, that his kingdom will, will never end, that he's going to give him a son. Let's read those words. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14 to 16, God says to David about his son, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now we know that David's son Solomon was a great king and the kingdom of Israel was very large under his leadership, but the kingdom of Israel did not last For the northern kingdom of Israel was defeated in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. Then the southern kingdom of Israel was defeated in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. Yes, the earthly kingdom of David seemed to be all but decimated and forgotten by the first century A.D. But through the angel Gabriel, God lets Mary know that the Lord still plans to fulfill the promise he made to David so many years ago. Because Mary is betrothed to Joseph, her miraculous son will be from the line of David. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Despite the tremendous lag of time from Isaiah to the birth of Jesus, some 700 years Despite the lag of time from King David to the birth of Jesus, some 970 years, God proves to be faithful in keeping his word. For Jesus is a fulfillment of promises that God had made many, many years ago. And so the virgin birth lets us know that God keeps his word, that what God says he's going to do, he does, that God is true to his word and we can trust his word. The virgin birth also helps us see that God is at work. Now, I understand from nature, there are actually animals that can have virgin births. There are asexual lizards out there that evidently don't need a mate in order to give birth, but we are not lizards, right? (laughs) We need a mate. In fact, we know from modern science that a woman carries two X chromosomes and a male carries an X and a Y chromosome. So in order for a woman to give birth to a boy, it needs a male, or in this case, the Holy Spirit, to give that Y chromosome. That's why we say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Clearly, for a virgin to give birth to a baby boy, God must be at work. And so we celebrate that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Yes, the virgin birth helps us see that God is faithful to his word, God is at work, and ultimately, God is with us, and he plans to save us. As we state in the Apostles' Creed, conceived by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary so that the child born to her is of divine origin. As God says through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, we read just a moment ago, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Yes, in Jesus Christ, God has become one of us, fully God and fully man. 
And this virgin birth points to the the divine nature of this child. As as the Gospel of John articulates so beautifully in John's prologue, the very first chapter of John, chapter 1, verse 14, he writes, And the Word, the divine Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. With an earthly mother and a heavenly Father, Jesus is God. He is God and man. Two distinct natures, yet one person. That's question 21 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. We have different catechisms in the Presbyterian Church that help explain what the Bible teaches. It does a wonderful job of explaining the the divine and the human nature of Christ. In question 21 we read, who is the redeemer of God's elect? The only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal son of God, became man, and so was and continueth to be God and man in two distinct natures. In one person, forever. Jesus is divine and human at the same time. The word made flesh. The virgin birth of Jesus points to the divine origin of Jesus, which is very important for us to understand. For if Jesus had been born in the normal way with an earthly father and an earthly mother, then, well, then he would have inherited the sinful nature that we've all inherited from our first father, Adam. If you remember, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. They were told they could eat of any tree except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in a desire to be like God, they succumb to the temptation of the slithery, sly serpent. And they eat from that tree. And they bring sin into the world. And and their relationship with God is corrupted. But the good news of the virgin birth is that Jesus didn't inherit that corrupted state. No, he he had a heavenly father, a divine father. As King David explains in Psalm 51, verse 5, Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. David recognizes that he has a a sinful nature that left to his own is prone to wander from God. It's prone to sin. It's prone to rebel. It's prone to choose our own ways rather than God's ways. If you aren't sure about the innate sinful nature of humanity, just give one pacifier to two twin brothers and see what happens. See, that makes the point that uh, we were born selfish and sinful. We, if, we don't, if someone has what we want, we will try and take it. That's our innate desire. That's our innate way to go. But not Jesus. He was born sinless because he has the Holy Spirit, the divine genes of God. That Y chromosome for Jesus was from God. It wasn't from man. I love the way the Heidelberg Catechism explains Uh, the the virgin birth of Jesus and its explanation of the Apostles' Creed in question 35. It says, what is the meaning of conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? Answer, 
that the eternal Son of God who is and remains true and eternal God took upon himself our true manhood from flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the action of the Holy Spirit so that he also might be the true seed of David like his fellow men in all things except for sin. The virgin birth points to the reality of of the incarnation. God took on flesh that he became one of us Jesus is like us in every way except for sin. He wasn't born with this sinful nature. He wasn't born sinful. No, he he continued to be holy and blameless before God as he offered a a life of full obedience to God without sin. And therefore, the, the virgin birth of Jesus ultimately helps make the cross of Christ efficacious for our sins. It's effective for our sins. For if Jesus had died, if he'd been born the normal way with an earthly father and earthly mother, then he would have inherited a sinful nature so that when he died on the cross, he would have died for his sins. But he didn't have an earthly father. He had a heavenly father with with divine genes so that he was sinless at birth. And when he was born, he, he lived this humble life and he continued in obedience to our heavenly father so that the day that he died on the cross, he died on the cross for our sins, not his sins, for he was sinless. And so he became the perfect sacrifice, the lamb without blemish for all of our sins together. Now it's true that Jesus was tempted, tempted like any one of us are tempted. On January 1st, actually, New Year's Day, we're gonna talk about the temptation of Jesus as we look at Luke chapter four. But Jesus never succumbed to temptation. He was always obedient to our heavenly father. The virgin birth is is important for us to to understand because it points to the reality that God is, is faithful to uphold his promises. The virgin birth helps us see that we can trust God's word because God is going to do what God says he's going to do. The virgin birth helps us see that God is still at work. Just as he was at work in Mary's life, God is still at work on this creation. He hasn't abandoned creation. No, he, he's continued to work. The virgin birth helps us see that God is with us. God is with us and ultimately he has a, a plan to save us. That plan came, was fully realized through his son, our savior, Jesus Christ, who without sin paid the price for our sins with his death on a cross. So now what? How are we to live in light of the reality of the virgin birth of Jesus? I believe today our only appropriate response to the virgin birth of Jesus is really to do what what Mary did. Let's look again what Mary says to these words of the angel Gabriel and how she responds. In verse 38 she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's say that together. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, in order for us to appreciate what Mary has just said here, we have to go back to the first century and just think for a moment what it was like for Mary to make this proclamation, to believe and to live out this commitment she's making to the angel Gabriel to carry a child out of wedlock. You see, Mary was from Nazareth, and Nazareth was a very small town. Historians tell us that Nazareth's population was probably around 500 people at the time, and well, you know how it is in small towns. People like to talk, and everybody would have known, well, that Mary was betrothed to Joseph, and they would have known that the the wedding had not yet happened, and then Mary comes and shows herself to be pregnant, and immediately people are going to run and start gossiping about her. I saw this picture that I think helps illustrate the gossip of a small town. There's not much to see in this small town, but what you hear makes up for it. 
In small towns, gossip is like a form of entertainment, right? I mean, people want to talk about what's going on with you and whoever else. And, and when they saw that Mary was pregnant out of wedlock, they would have run to two immediate things. Either she has committed adultery or she's committed fornication. Either one is, is good. And if she was found guilty of adultery, she could have been stoned according to Mosaic law. Yes, her life was at risk in carrying this child out of wedlock within her small Jewish community. And yet her faith is greater than her fear when she says to the angel Gabriel, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Are we willing to submit to the word of God today as Mary was? When a person insults us or gossips about us, do we respond in anger or do we turn the other cheek and pray for them as Jesus instructs us to do in the Sermon on the Mount? When the stock market crashes or oil prices plummet or the drought continues on for yet another year and the economy seems uncertain, do we fill our lives with worry and anxiety or do we pray and trust God as Jesus instructs us to do in the Sermon on the Mount? When we see that homeless person on the corner asking for for assistance, do we seek to meet their specific physical need as Jesus instructs us to do in Matthew chapter 25 or do we drive on by because we've got so much to do today? When the conflict arises, are we willing to do the hard work of peacemaking to first take the log out of our own eye as Jesus instructs us to do in the Sermon on the Mount before we look at the speck in our brother's eye to to come humbly seeking to bring reconciliation by meeting with the person one-on-one as Jesus instructs us to do in Matthew 18? Are we willing to do that hard work of peacemaking? I'd rather just move on to get along. Are we willing to submit to the word of God as Mary was, humbly saying, Behold, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word, O God. The next time we become fearful, anxious, or obedience to Christ just seems too hard, let's pray and remember the reality of the virgin birth. The virgin birth that tells us that God is true to his word, that we can read his word and know that he is faithful to fulfill his word. When Jesus says he will be with us to the very end of the age, we can bank on that. When we read in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from love of God that is in Christ Jesus, we can bank on that. When we read in John chapter 14 that in our heavenly Father's house there are many rooms and that our loved one has gone before us in glory, we can bank on that. When we read in Revelation chapter 21 that God is going to bring a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more tears, no more pain, only praise, we can believe Believe and bank on that. It's the virgin birth lets us know that God is true to his word. He is going to fulfill all of his promises to us. The virgin birth helps us see that God is still at work today. The people of Israel had no expectation that that Messiah was coming. They had given up hope. It had been 700 years since Isaiah had spoken his word, 400 years since Malachi had spoken his word. It was 970 years since God had spoken to King David about a son coming from him whose kingdom would never end. Yes, God is faithful to his word and God is still at work as we can see in the virgin birth. And God, he is Emmanuel. He is with us and he has a plan to save us. Yes, the next time we become anxious, let us trust in God's plan for us, that he's with us and he's for us and ultimately he's going to save us and so we can rejoice. In gratitude for God's amazing grace, let's follow the example of Mary. Every day this Advent season, may we humbly pray before the Lord, behold, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according 
to your word. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the virgin birth, Lord. We thank you for the fact that you are a God who keeps your word. You have fulfilled all that you said you would do in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so we can have confidence in your word as we read it each day. We know that you are a God who does what he says he's going to do. You're a God who has a plan. It's a plan for good and not harm. It's a plan to save us and to deliver us. We find that deliverance and salvation in Jesus Christ, who was without sin and paid the price for our sins with his death on a cross. Oh God, I pray that you'd allow us to continue to live into that truth. Help us to humbly walk before you, saying, behold, I am the Lord's servant, May it be to me according to your word. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ and all God's people said, amen.